for tuning in to Power Athlete Radio. Brett Bartholomew joins us this week to talk about the art of coaching. If his decade of experience working with collegiate, pro, and Olympic-level athletes has taught him anything, it's that the tipping point for effective coaching is connection. Brett's personal fascination with the human psyche has heavily influenced his approach to training for performance, so much so that he authored a best-selling book titled Conscious Coaching. Although Brett's early story of shuffling around with different teams and taking unpaid jobs seems a familiar one, the short timeline in which he was able to accomplish so much is truly impressive. These days, Brett is opening his own facility and unabashedly committed to shifting how the business of coaching is valued. John and Brett trade thoughts on how coaching has evolved and even discuss some of the highlights of this year's Sornex Summer Strong. This is episode 210. Power Athlete Nation, what is up? We got Texan John here in Austin. John, what's up? What's happening? How are we doing? Great. I drove by the new Power Athlete HQ 2.0 this morning and I was blown away. Yeah, no, it's uh, it's pretty amazing. I mean, I posted a picture on Instagram and we got a ton of likes on it and um, I just was more kind of posting it because it was such an amazing uh, you sunset. Know, sunset. Like, yeah. I, I was up there checking out the building and the sunset was so crazy. Snapped a picture and posted it and people were like, dude, that building's crazy. I'm like, it's going to be pretty amazing. So... <laughs> It's uh, 4,600 square feet, um, you know, 16-foot ceilings, and it's going to be pretty amazing, dude. we got six bay doors, and uh, we'll have enough equipment in there to kill just about anybody and anything. So I'm excited to get all my equipment out of our pods because when we moved out of Orange County, we put all the equipment in the pod, and uh, every day I drive by it, it just mocks me. And then my wife made me go up there today and get her out some stuff so she could fuck I, around. I saw it. the... Yeah, the center mass. Center yeah. mass bell, yeah. Yeah, so um, no, it's, uh, I opened it up. It was all dusty, and I saw my, my weights and my bars, and I'm like, ah, soon. Soon she's coming. Yeah, just a glimpse onto the horizon. See what I did there? What is coming at Power Athlete? Uh, so I want to introduce our guest, Mr. Brett Bartholomew. How you doing, buddy? Doing awesome. Thanks for having me. Oh, yes, sir. So I met Brett at the Play Speed Summit. So a collection of speed coaches got in there and uh, Brett talked about plyometrics and I found it interesting. His presentation started with, this is not necessarily my passion, right? And um, you're usually the guy that bring in to talk about coaching, but then you'd still blew us all the way with your knowledge on plyometrics. So um, I wanted to really find out what that passion was, talk about coaching. So I've, I've been poking through your book as, as we've led up to this conversation. So I'll be pulling questions from there. Uh, but it sounds like you and John got some um, some past friends that we can talk about experiences, training in NFL. Well, uh, it's uh, interesting. I realize when you go out to the fringe, uh, you know, they say six degrees of separation for everybody. When you push it out to the fringe, it's actually only one degree. Hmm. So it's kind of funny. When you go, the farther you go out on the, uh, um, in, the, in the circle, it's usually actually a smaller deal. So, I mean, we, uh, we know a lot of the same people. And even though this is our first time meeting, like, I'm surprised we're not friends longer. So it's always interesting when I meet people and I'm like, wait a minute. Yeah, no doubt. Like we were at Summer Strong this weekend and that happened like four or five times. As I was talking, like we had uh, Adam Nelson and some of the guys on and I was like, man, like, how can we don't did, drink? Did we just become best friends? I was like, how can we, we haven't been drinking beers for 10 years. So no, man, I'm, uh, you know, text came back raving uh, about your um, presentation and I'd love to just talk about metrics and kind of, you know, get into a little bit of your theory and what you do and uh, you know, how you're doing a difference. So I'm, I'm, I'm excited on the uh, kind of the nuts and the bolts. Texas is more of a big picture guy. I like minutia. I'm a both. I do both. <laughs> well, I think, uh, I think to like break into that, right? Like the reason I had said that text is not that 
plyometrics or the training nuts and bolts aren't my passion. It's more of just, uh, I flipped the channel recently, right? So I, I started in the collegiate setting. Well, I really, I originally, after um, graduating college, I went and interned at API in Florida. And then I went and worked at the University of Nebraska as a volunteer. Um, they didn't do paid assistantships, so I volunteered, did that until I was able to get a paid uh, a graduate assistantship at Southern Illinois University in Carbondale. And I was an assistant for basketball and football. And then I was uh, the basically the head strength coach for eight Olympic sports in total. So the men's and women's golf, tennis, swimming and diving, what have you. So I think the important note there and where that comment came from is I'm going into my 11th year coaching. I would mm-hmm. say the first eight years, if not more, were all spent doing the typical strength coach thing, reading the translated Russian texts, <laughs> training the science and practice. I mean, I was the biggest programming nerd you guys would know. Like I would spend hours on end just manipulating my template, thinking, does this flow better? Where can I do their, you know, where can I put their PRs? So, you know, it can auto calculate their percentages. I mean, I was programming accessory work. <laughs> like, and we then all you know got to the point where you realize that it doesn't matter. Right. It's like, all no, the big picture. No question. And so like, I think when I made that statement, it wasn't insinuating, hey, I don't like to talk training. It was more along the fact of like, that's all I had been talking about for a long time because after my graduate assistantship, I went and worked for API again, which is now Exos. And I would coach year round. And my primary responsibilities, you know, aside from high school and military and, and stuff like that starting off, became the pro side. But then around September, October, when most of those sports and athletes had kind of left, I would go do education. So, you know, I'd join and, and do their mentorships. And they were, you know, one week to two week courses going through the nuts and bolts of program design, speed development, agility. And you kind of got into this quotidian groundhog day thing of, it felt like you were doing that so much that at the first three years, it's a rush. Years four and five, like it's still awesome because, you know, you're refining it. Year six, you're kind of looking and saying, I feel like I've been talking about this stuff a lot, but I don't necessarily see that we have a lot, you know, a ton of great coaches out there. And we saw that because people would go through phase one, phase two mentorships, Phase three was a lot of like, okay, now you've gone through this deep-seated theory and application. We're going to have you guys design programs. We're going to have you guys lead groups. You're going to lead sessions. And you'd see all these people that had all this information at their fingertips, whether it was Bosch, whether it was Zasiorski, whether it was Sif, you know, Bondarchuk, what have you. And they'd be so paralyzed from the information that we literally went from a relatively like um, ignorant industry in some regards to one that's just now confused. Well, don't you think that's the case because there's too much information available? I mean, we've preached on this for years that the internet was probably the best and the worst thing to ever happen to training, especially coaching, because there's so much good information that's available to people that uh, they, it's almost this like ADD thing. And I run into people all the time where I'm like, dude, stick with just one kind of methodology. And if you want to run down that one, try this one and kind of, you know, but don't try to give me like seven different things at once. But that's also what we talk about with the, uh, the birth of what, uh, the secret squirrel hybrid program where you have everybody that's trying to pull out 27 different things and basically getting good at nothing or really making any gains. So no, and I actually, the quote, I was being a little facetious where I was like, Oh, I love the nuts and the bolts. Honestly, I'm the macro guy. Uh, these guys are a lot of the micro and I always talk about like the big picture and the principles and like this, you know, the grandiose idea that, Hey, you know, what are we trying to get to and what's the end game and you know, how you necessarily get there is up to you as the individual. But if you understand the principles, it works way, way better. 
So well, they, to your point, they all feed in together, right? Like I remember one day on Twitter, I put something along the lines of the micro makes the macro tick. And somebody shot me back an answer and was like, yeah, but you know, we're more than the sum of our parts. And I said, no question, but I think you're understanding this the wrong way with human beings, with performance, with any of this stuff, whether it's programming related or interaction and coaching, it's not about the sum of the parts. It's about the symphony and concert between them. And I think to your point, exactly like, yes, the internet is the worst and best thing. Cause now we have people that have, ex- they've completely confused exposure for experience. Right? The amount of blogs read is not the equivalent of groups led. Or, yeah. or, uh, or my other favorite is the most amount of posts that you have on a forums is not indicative of your knowledge because no question. 10,000 posts is a good chance that you're not training or doing anything other than fucking posting. Right. And we're stuck in this quagmire where on like one hand, that is definitely true. On the other hand, I heard somebody go off on probably the 30th rant I had heard recently on a podcast of somebody saying, oh, these social media guys, if they were really coaching and they were busy, they wouldn't be posting. And I sit there and I kind of think, and I've been that guy because like that's what I thought when I was at the university level. Like I hated anybody online because that's what I was taught. I was taught like these guys aren't really coaching. They're not doing anything. And then I start looking around at people like, and I said this on Instagram recently, like Elon Musk, Richard Branson, other thought leaders, other, you know, any business owner, people that by and large are a lot busier than we are in most cases. I know they have assistance and they have help and you know what have you, but still they're kind of working on bigger fucking issues than, you know, linear periodization or what sets and reps are going to do. And they find a way to adapt with the times. So, and I, and I do find the majority of people that bitch about social media too much are usually also the kinds that let's just be honest. They usually don't have a solid following or they just don't like social media. They just don't like it. You know, because well, the reality is that's the world we live in now. Young coaches and old coaches alike are going to get on it. So, like, just get on it and do something positive with it. You know, there's there's kind of two different approaches social media I've identified. There's kind of like the, um, what I call, like, uh, through, like, the looking lens or through the mirror. So, um, I don't know, and this is just kind of how I view people. Like, I like for, at least for my social media, like Instagram, for example, I like to show people what I'm seeing. So yeah. like, you know, like I try to give people the, the vision through my eyes where a lot of people are trying to show everybody the mirror. This is me and everything. This is what I look like. And I'm not really overly concerned with showing people the mirror. I want people to see like, this is what John's That's seeing at this moment. Job. And, uh, the thing that I kind of dug is, uh, we were at summer strong this weekend and we suck, uh, you know, Carisi, mm-hmm. uh, the guy from, uh, Kennesaw, Kennesaw State. Yeah. Kennesaw State. Um, he has a killer Instagram and he literally yeah. highlights all of his kids and like, if somebody doesn't do something well, he like calls them out. Like they were, you know, doing some one RM squats and this kid cut it short. And he even said, he's like, dude, uh, I was stoked with his effort. This was like a 40 pound PR. He cut it short. He fucking pushed out. But you know what? Like fucking thank God that he gave it a fucking chance. And like the, the kid was high by maybe a half an inch or a quarter inch. I mean, he didn't fucking bury it, but he also wasn't quarter squat gang shit. And, um, you know, people were like on there and I'm like, God, the rise of the fucking internet coach and, uh, everybody's an expert in this. And, uh, but dude, his fucking Instagram and we saw him, we were drinking beers. I'm like, dude, I fucking love it. Like, he's like, dude, I see you like everything. I'm like, cause it's fucking authentic. And it's, it's allowing people to see what through your eyes, instead of you like always like, Oh, here's me. And you know, the background, he's like, I don't put myself on there. It's not about me. And, uh, no, man, I, I, I really dig that type of stuff. And uh, what I always like to do is I like to see what people are doing for their training. And I like to see kind of, um, you know, kind of how it all kind of fits into the grand scheme. And um, 
you know what? And, and at the end of the day, I just want to see some cool pictures and hopefully get some thought provoking shit. I'm not interested in seeing your fucking food. That one drives me absolutely crazy. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I oh think, you know, when I, when, when my thought process around the whole thing changes, when I went to API, API at the time had a pretty big reputation for being kind of soft, you know, being PT oriented and what have you. Uh, that's not, or that's not kind of, that is the fucking reputation. Right. I had came out of, you know, the college setting as a GA and I was like, well, that, you know, that's not, I work for API now and I'm having guys deadlift and, you know, front squat and clean and what have you. And so what I realized is like, well, API social media didn't get it. And so it was like, I'm going to have to get on social media. So I, it's not the case now. Like if you look at my Instagram now and I was late to the Instagram name game, I don't show as much like it's not all training videos now. And a big reason for that is I'm getting ready to open, open my facility. Um, so I'm also not coaching six to eight groups constantly. Like I was then I have like a three month hiatus here where I've got to get, and you know what that's like, right? Like you got to get going. And then some of the contracts. It's easy just to coach, man. Sometimes I mean to do all the business shit and uh, what's the name of the new facility? Uh, well, yeah. So you guys, this is actually the first podcast that I'll have announced it. So we're calling it the bridge human performance. Nice. I'll yeah. The bridge. the bridge human performance. And so, and where's yeah, it at? It, it, it's in Atlanta, but where is it? Yeah. It's going to be actually right around midtown in Atlanta. Okay. You know, I don't want to speak too soon because we're finalizing all the agreements and, and stuff right now, but you know, 15 minutes from the airport, 2025 with traffic and a really cool area that they're, they're redesigning and doing some stuff in. And I'm doing all of this on my own. And as, as you can attest, going from full-time coach to, you know, now part-time coach and part-time business person, you've got to lock in a lot of things to make sure you get this going. Um, and then some of the other contracts I'm involved with, because I, I consult within the NFL and also the military space, I can't always post about. Um, but when I first started posting, you know, I always felt like, and it sounds like you had this same kind of experience, it was people trying to do nuanced, fancy stuff. And I was like, well, nobody's really posting NFL guys doing good RDLs. You know, we're doing good squats. So sure. that's when I started posting. And if you flip back through my stuff or followed me early on, you'll see that. Now I kind of realize the, I think the virus and the infection that we're fighting against, and I talked to Dan Path and Sue McMillan about this a lot, is we just don't have people that think. So now, you know, I try to put stuff out there that's not like motivational rah-rah. Like some of it has a tone to it for sure because you need to wake people up sometimes, I think. But the vast majority of it is like, you need to see this problem out of a different lens because our problems aren't just training related. We're in an industry that's obsessed with adaptations, but doesn't know how to adapt. Sure. They don't know how to share thoughts. They don't know how to lead. They don't know how to kind of just address coaching. They think that just, you know, putting something cool as you alluded to on social media is the key. So well, it's tough. Just start the, uh, the thing which kind of is, you know, I think what you're kind of getting to this idea of like, you know, like, you kind of have this uh, weird dichotomy right now where it's kind of like uh, this, you know, what is good, uh, effective training look like that isn't some fucking yoga PT bullshit. So like <laughs> I get into this all the time where, uh, you know, we watch people do things and I'm like, you know, like people don't necessarily understand movement and the people that do kind of understand movement don't understand necessarily how to drive adaptation in terms of like, you know, train. Uh, yeah. I mean like, Hey, you know, we know that the muscle formed over 85% is a much more fucking explosive, more powerful muscle. But then, you know, can you maintain posture and position under a heavier load? And like, uh, so like I watch this stuff that looks so bad, but then I watch other people where I think it looks pretty good, but I'm like, I'm not really impressed by an air squat. So like, there's this kind of like interesting, almost like cross section. And I just don't see it that much. And, um, it's just, 
I just don't think people understand what movement is and necessarily how to literally drive adaptation in a meaningful way. And, uh, you know, that's something that really power athlete and has been my personal fucking goal for all these years we've been doing this thing is like, you know, how do you, you know, challenge athleticism? How do you use, you know, barbells or, you know, external resistance to, you know, challenge posture and position and what's effective human movement look like that you can translate onto the field to actually do something meaningful and good. And, you know, when you talk to people on that level, they have no fucking idea what they're talking or that what you're talking about. And they're like, so what do you mean? It's not a squat. I'm like, no, dude, it's a bilateral hip hinge. Yeah. You know, so wait a minute, it's not a front squat. I'm like, those are, give me something other than a bilateral hip hinge. And what they're so romanced in is this idea of exercises. And I'm like, dude, I'm, I'm not stoked on exercises as much as I just want you to move well within that movement pattern. Let's say it's at X axis. And, uh, you know, how you challenge that and how we do these different things has to always continue to change. Um, you know, just putting a heavy barbell on your back isn't always going to drive adaptation the same way for every single person. As you know, you probably watch some guys get stronger who got faster. I watched other guys get stronger who got slower. Yeah. And, and, and those type of problems, um, you know, being fairly analytical as a Berkeley grad, uh, always drove me crazy that I would watch guys go in and bench 500 pounds for reps and then go out, out on the football field and get cut walking off the field. No, and I think that's like I think you we'd all agree that that the essence of what's missing now is just craftsmanship, the dedication to craftsmanship, and that was where like the whole idea behind like when I was writing the book, like what title would I what I think of, and I always thought master like a master coach was kind of a bullshit term to me. Like I don't I don't know anybody in my circle, and I would wonder if you guys feel the same that would ever feel comfortable calling themselves a master. I know one. I know one. It was uh, Nicholas Romanov uh, is a Russian sports scientist, University of Moscow, Eastern Bloc. And when they were able to or to coach somebody to, uh, you know, and I forgot the level, it was like Olympic gold medal, world championship or something. They were given the title of master coach in in the Eastern Bloc system, which I think if you failed, you probably had to go to Siberia in exchange. But (laughs) I remember him telling me, he's like, oh, I earned the title of master coach. And that's the only person... Like if you fucking got that in Eastern Bloc, uh, Russia, like University of Moscow, I think you probably earned it. But yes, he's the only person I've ever. No, yeah, and like I, I understand the distinction, uh, like the nomenclature of like masters level things like that. But I mean, somebody that would thump their chest and be like self-proclaimed, "I'm a master. I have it all figured out." Are those the same guys that are uh, trying to constantly talk about uh, being alphas? (laughs) Yes, because uh, anybody who writes a book or has to tell somebody how to be an alpha isn't an alpha and the people they're talking to aren't alphas. So like, that's my own personal pet peeve. And I'm like, dude, stop with this alpha bullshit, dude. Just no, no. And that's why, like, that's why when I did conscious coach, it wasn't like, Oh, some mindfulness in the moment. Like it was more of saying like, no, you know how to think and you've seen things and you have an awareness of how to adapt and evolve and do this. Like, and that's what you you called internal identification, right? Yeah. It's part of the stages of internal identification of just like, Thinking, and that was part of that's full of shit. Like yeah. probably the number one internal. But you know what? Identification. As funny as that is, most people don't ever think oh. that. Most people just love it's human bias, right? And Dude. then this is what drove all kind of my interest into human behavior. Is we have fucked up the industry. We have because there's everybody like instead of following Peter Thiel's advice of like competitions for losers, you know, we have gotten into this. We're definitely there's this great quote where they say you know, we are far more, uh, we're risen apes, not fallen angels. And it's so true. We're so stupid that we, we think that everything is about proving we're the best at this. We're the, 
how do you prove who's the best in a subjective field that's guided by objective science? This field is an art guided by science. Well, I mean, it, well, there, there has to be a proving ground. And I think, um, at least for me personally, uh, what I loved about playing in the NFL was I got an opportunity to see exactly how good or bad I was 70 times every Sunday in front of, you know, millions of people. And I got to really see the test for my training, whether or not the training and the information and the way I was, I was processing it and using it and driving adaptation and doing all these other key, you know, jiggy shit. Uh, allowed me to go out and fucking beat ass and get paid big money for it. Like that was yeah. it. And uh, the problem becomes is that we don't have any instant, uh, you know, whether it's uh, like instant, not instant gratification, but like barometer, instant, like, yeah, like, like there's no instant barometer like there is in the NFL where you walk out and you're like, fuck you go out to training camp. You strap it up that hood that first day. And you're like, well, I won the conditioning test. I hope to God I did this fucking year is going to pay yeah. off. And then you go yeah. out there and you know, and e even on Sunday, did I do enough preparation? Did I do all the little things Did I get everything so I can go out and I can fucking just, you know, go to my dark place and beat somebody's ass. And I think it becomes that we, unless you're in that level, like you said, like either the military or professional football player, or professional athlete, where you're competing at such a high level against the world's best stage, what does it matter? Like, and, and I think like, that's the problem. At least we see it on social media where, you know, I, I, I love these people that are in the fucking gym that are, you know, literally training for nothing other than to look good on their Instagram. And they're talking about their fucking warriors. And I'm like, dude, this isn't fucking Sparta. Like you're not getting like, it just, Fucking so, drives me crazy. So how do we how do we communicate that to the high school coach? Well, most importantly, well, but but you have to remember, man. People are, um, you know, people like we say, dude. Uh, you know, Greg Glassman made a great quote: "People fail at the margins of their experience, right?" And if they don't have the experience, like, dude, your fucking experience is 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 pretty amazing. I mean, to be able to push that much experience in in eleven years is fucking crazy. Uh, but like, you know, your level of experience is pushed so far to the envelope that dude, you failed the margin of your experience. It's going to be a pretty far fall. Uh, most people don't have much experience. I mean, what's their experience? Fucking gold's gym or turning on Instagram and yeah. Or Angela gifted athlete Sonny. just walks through the door. Yeah. But you know, here's, here's a, here's, and I don't mean interrupt, but here's like, no, please do. That's how this whole podcast works. One thing I've also learned though, and, and this is something we have to address as well as an industry is I was fortunate to have dense and diverse experience. I mean, a lot of that was taking risks and a lot of that was timing and then a willingness to take jobs that a lot of people didn't. I mean, I was shipped off to different SOCOM based military bases at 25 to do this, you know, thing with API of trying to help the military improve their training. Right. And like you're put in front of 25 Navy SEALs at, you know, I mean, you're put in front of Navy SEALs at 25 trying to teach them how to train and you realize real quick, just regurgitating knowledge and research isn't going to win you their respect. Just between that and like, there's, there's a lot of, and you guys could probably attest to this. There's so many, there's so much stigma attributed to private sector, almost that like we're all guys that just sit on our ass and don't coach anybody all day. And the only way to grow is a team. And I've been on both sides. There's good and bad examples of both, but the, my private sector experience was really dense. We had a lot of athletes. It was very busy. You're coaching a lot. But here's the other issue where those 11 years have worked, that, that experience has worked against me. We still have an old guard in this industry that is very defensive against young, experienced strength coaches. Yeah, but I mean, isn't that like, um, so part of the thing that we've done, especially, uh, you know, a power athlete was try to create a way to educate coaches uh, in a non-conventional way because the conventional way of educating strength coaches is fucking horrible. 
Like this age old, like I'm Kane, the blind swordsman, and I wander from facility to facility, just hoping to like glean on and learn something. And then at some point, somebody taps me on the head (laughs) after I've, you know, coached on patrols at 5 a.m. and fucking had to survive on, you know, power bars and smoothies, uh, you know, and then all of a sudden, then this guy goes up and like, you know, you kind of this nomadic existence and you hopefully pick up enough. And because unfortunately, the education that you're learning in the books isn't practical because it's theory, but then you go in these facilities and you kind of, who are you kind of steeped under? And then you kind of rise up and it takes you 10 or, years. Or you ask the wrong question and you're banished. Yes, of course. Or you come from the wrong, you don't have the right pedigree and then everybody's against you. D, what are you saying? D3 All-Star? Yeah. but right. Or, or people grow up and they think, oh, you're this guy because you worked in that facility yep. or you're this guy because you worked under that coach. Well, what you yeah. said about pedigree, right? And, and that's how it happens. And so what we wanted to do was... Uh, I wanted to put together and do techs, uh, you know, we sat down and we're like, you know, how do we put together a course curriculum that educates people in, uh, you know, because I mean, dude, there's just in CrossFit alone, there's probably anywhere from, you know, they say 13,000 CrossFit gyms in the world right now. So there's 13,000 micro gyms Unreal. with coaches that came through a non-traditional sense. Like, Hey, I was selling insurance. I got fired. Now I own a CrossFit gym and I'm training and I got 150, 200 clients. And so like the education base was so, I mean, we do, we taught all these seminars and people would show up and, you know, I'd just ask, you know, Hey, can you give me three muscle contractions? Fucking crickets. Really? Yeah. And, and it's because, uh, you they didn't know, want to participate. Well, it's not that they didn't want no, to participate. No, no. It's just that, that knowledge and education and like that type of information, which we would say would be the beginning point is not valued. And then we run into all these micro gyms and people and, and sitting back, figuring out like if people are ending, entering the strength conditioning realm in a non-traditional way, then we have to figure out a, a non-traditional way to educate them. So what we came up is with the power ethic methodology and that's how we're educating people. Like this is the information you need. That's great. This is how you have to be able to put it down. And, um, you know, the issue that we come to is, you know, who do people necessarily look up to, especially in the strength conditioning world. And unfortunately the people they should be reading and looking up to don't have a hundred thousand or 2 million, you know, followers on a social media platform. And they're hard to read. Like the Zetsiorsi's, Oh, I, I didn't, but I'm a Berkeley guy, so I did not find any of that stuff hard to read. I mean, well, neither dude, did I, but I mean, so if you have to sit down and try to figure out like Nietzsche or try to figure out the argument of Thomas More uh, in a poem, like sitting down and trying to figure out Zadiskorsky and, uh, you no, know, but I think what he's saying is for the, for the average person that's more inclined to look at social media, we failed to parts of their experience and that's my fucking experience. I'm just kidding. No, well, uh, no, no, no it's, what it is, is it. But if you're going to enter the realm of strength conditioning and you sit down and this thing is so thick and you don't know it because you don't have a background, to me, that's a fucking problem. And that's what we're addressing. Well, and not only that, like we have to look at the fact that like, you know, so many people promulgated the idea of performance hacks and this and that, that people, people just want shit quick. Dude, don't even get me on this shit, dude. If if and efficiency aren't the same. If you try to like, uh, like as soon as I hear the word hack, it drives I, me nuts. Well, dude, uh, instantly you like, like if somebody you're tells me, yeah, I'm like, you're a fucking hack. Yeah. You're a scam artist. I mean, and it all started with the, uh, the bulletproof coffee fucking bullshit. I'm like, let me tell you, dude, drinking coffee with fucking butter and MCT oil is not a hack. That's yeah. a fucking high calorie dessert. And I don't give a fuck if like, don't get me fucking started on this. No. I, I will say a positive thing from the private sector is you don't have an authority. So you free yourself up to go and learn from sure. other people. So just as 
like I'm going to a place summit to learn from experienced coaches, like a college could send me there, but I'm still steeped in my head coach's rules or speed. Well, I mean, look, we were just at Summer Strong, which mm-hmm. was a really interesting collection of speakers and how many collegiate strength conditioning coaches were there. I mean, geez, assistants, it, a lot yeah, of assistants, a, a, a lot of assistants and people there and, you know, head guys and uh, had numerous people come over to me and, um, you know, I wanted to do more of a Cal Dietz talk. Uh, but then I realized like, that isn't what those fucking people came there for. Oh, what are you talking about? I loved Cal's talk. I loved to talk too. But you know what? Like I realized for me, it was more important than me getting up there and talking about, uh, you know, fostering athleticism and primal movement patterns and that, that people wanted to hear where it came from and the methodology and like kind of the, you know, the bigger picture. Story. Have you guys realized, have you guys realized that the third space is missing in SNC, whereas the majority of people feel like they only have two choices, team setting or private sector. And then the majority of the majority of those kinds of choices, they don't really even know there there's tons of benefits of both, right? Like I I've been in the, I've been in both. And I think I'm, I'm definitely like a Harvey two face. Like I, there's a lot of me that was really hard to not take team jobs. So it was really hard for me to turn those down. But at the same time, I've also seen the benefits of the private sector and where that can go, you know, but that third space is kind of missing, you know, where coaches feel like they don't have something like, what if they like certain aspects about both? And that's something that, you know, transparently, you know, without going into too much detail now, I'm looking at diving into with the bridge and what we can do with that. Just because we have had this idea and in the team setting, if you want to do things outside of strength and conditioning and you want to apply coaching and be more involved with it, just have a bigger voice in the industry. It's usually, oh, you're a sellout. You're not focused. You're not dedicated. But then you have private sector people that are way, some that are way too focused on promulgating that and not enough on coaching. Mm-hmm. I think that it's, it, we haven't had enough good examples of people that do both, that you know are damn good coaches, but have really, really made an impact and going, and, and I fed into that like too, like, you know, there was a time, I'm going to speak for Microsoft and Facebook next month. There was a time where I would feel guilty about that and feel like, oh, I shouldn't be doing this. I should just be, I should be in the trenches doing it. And now I sit here and think, you know what? I've seen enough of this industry that there's no chance that I would ever miss an opportunity to go out and be more engaged with a wider audience because that's coaching. Well, that, and, and you never know where the influences will come from. I mean, I'm sure you've had, uh, you know, situations that you went into where you thought, oh, this is going to be the one and nothing comes of it. Whereas, yeah, you know, no. shit, yeah. like, like you sit next to a case in point, uh, one of the most influential things I ever learned was sitting next to a dude on an airplane. I swear to God, I was flying somewhere and this dude sat down and like, I don't know what this dude was, uh, but he was kind of a Rudy Reyes kind of dude and starts talking with me. And I'm like, historically, just put on headphones, read a book. Like, I don't need to have meaningful conversations. I got enough of those. And uh, (laughs) the dude literally sits down and starts talking with me and he made a really interesting point. He said, the secret to life from a dude on an airplane. I'm writing this down. (laughs) Make more or want less. Oh, you've told me that yeah, before. Yeah, I told yeah. you that before. Want, oh yeah, make more or want less. He goes, man, if you want a lot of shit, man, go out there, fucking make as much as you can, fucking be as influential as you can. And he goes, if you don't, just want less. He goes, the problem is, is that nobody has an accurate depiction of like what they want versus what they can do. And he goes, either, you know, make more or want less. And I remember like, oh yeah. And then like later on, I was like, God damn it. That was so fucking <laughs> I mean, it's true. Like, if you don't want to go out there and try to like kick the door off the hinge every single day and you don't want to make a difference in this, then just be okay with not 
having everything. But the problem is, is people sit at home. They maybe not do, you know, why does this person have this? Why not me and this? And he's like, and they bitch. And they bitch. The internet troll. Yeah. The rise of the internet troll. This person that hates everybody that's successful because they're not. And it's like, dude, if you don't want that shit, then just want less and don't fucking be involved. And he's like, you know, and like, that was one of those statements that I was like, man, that's so fucking good. I I was actually thinking about something like this, but Brent, maybe you can help me out. Like I was looking at PhD and like UT, $85,000 for five years of school. And I'm thinking like, sounds like a bargain, (laughs) but there's, there's a shift in education, especially what we're talking about. Kinesiology, health education, all that good stuff. So why not take that 85 K because I probably won't get a grad assistantship or anything and then go and seek out the best people in the world over the next five years and make the same investment, but I don't get a piece of paper, but I can target people like go, go out, hang out with you for a week or go to Kennesaw state or go to freaking Minnesota. Well, well, I mean here, you know, at the end of the day, um, uh, you know, you just need an advanced degree for college, but I mean, how many strength coaches do you know that have a PhD? Brett, looking at you. No, I mean, I mean, uh, did that Brett contrast dude? Did, did, did he's got a PhD? Yeah, bro. Oh, I mean, but, I, don't know who, I used to work. I the used to guy. With, yeah, I used to work with Nick Winkleman, who went and got it. But I mean, his job's not primarily coaching as much as it was education at the time and what have you. you know, there's not many, and, and you can. I do think now, like the, I think a lot of times, like a master's is is not necessary. But like, I, I'm of the opinion that if you coach a lot and you have you know, your masters or something like that, you know, enough that would get you into that flexibility of if you want to go to the collegiate side, I think most of them require masters yeah. now, uh, yeah. which is a reason I wouldn't got mine, um, you know, just have that flexibility in the future. But I think if you coach a lot and you have a master's and a, and a breadth of experience, to me, a PhD isn't necessary unless you yeah. want to be a professor and all these yeah. other things. Yeah, like, I mean, to have a PhD, I mean, then, then you end up like, um, you know, hopefully with your PhD, you don't end up like Lane Norton, who just fights everything while I have a PhD. I mean, yeah, I that's really that's, the only reason you go do it. And that's what people do now. That's what yeah. I found. That's well, the same, thing. The same I mean, thing with the sports science stuff. People are taking something that's not a new field and they're, they're saying, Hey, I'm, I'm studying, I'm getting my PhD in sports science. Therefore the data shows people love to fight things uh-huh. with acronyms and data. Well, and that's like me being like, well, you know, people want to talk about football and I'm like, no, I played in the NFL. Obviously, I know more than you. Wait, you have a PhD in there? Yeah, right. I have a PhD. It took me, you know, 10 years. But no, dude, that's like, uh, but I'll be the first to tell you, I don't even know all the rules in football. I mean, things would happen all the time and they'd, and they'd call something. I'd be like, what the fuck is that? I've never heard of that one. And people are like, how do you not know this shit? I'm like, because I'm, I'm not focused on that bullshit. I'm just trying to whoop this dude's ass. Weren't, weren't you on the team? I'm sorry, go ahead. Uh, I was just going to make a joke. Did, weren't you on the team with McNabb when he didn't know there was overtime or ties? Yeah, no, well, he's an idiot and he was a terrible quarterback. <laughs> so he, I mean, ideally your quarterback should be very smart and like know everything, almost like the coach uh, McNabb, McNabb was awful. He usually just throw the ball at people's feet all the time. So <laughs> I'm not mad if he listens to this podcast because even he knows that he was fucking awful and throw it. I'd be like, it'd be, it'd be crazy. It'd be like third and three, have a little rollout. And like, all you got to do is plunk the dude for like four yards and he just throw it at their feet. And I'd be like, what the fuck? Why are we running off the field? Okay. Hey, right, if I may to like to that point, and I always have to throw a disclaimer out here because you'll say something now, and then people think that that's what you're anchoring to. No question, higher education for a variety of reasons is important to a degree, pun intended. But I think people now in the informa- in the information age way undervalue people's smarts, and that's where they get checkmated all the time. People just don't understand. They don't understand street smarts anymore. It's not as valued. And so I think you're better off 
traveling, talking to people, getting hands dirty in different circumstances. Like people don't know how to play the game anymore. And I love it because at least a lot of people get left in the dust. But the reality is, is because we're such a voyeur society that just wants to read blogs and all this, you don't have people that know how to talk to people. You don't know how to people that negotiate, make deals. You don't get what you deserve in life. You get what you negotiate, no matter what anybody says, no matter what anybody says. And so I think, I think anytime you can prioritize direct interaction instead of kind of, I don't know, like, you know, indirect involvement. And sometimes like you're always going to get more out of it. Well, it's like when somebody texts you or sends you a cunty email and you call them immediately and you're like, so what's going on? Can yeah. They don't want to talk to you. And then instantly it completely changes. And I'm like, dude, I diffuse shit all the time with that. I get something I don't like. I'd just be like, can you send me your phone number? Cause we're going to talk about this. Yeah, and yeah, people are like, Human contact? No, but, oh, uh, but like, it, like that's, what's kind of been interesting for us. I mean, um, you know, we went from obviously the in-person setting and then took it more just with the opportunity to work with more and more people and just kind of create a greater ripple. And, uh, you know, like at the end of the day, when I looked at it, I thought, you know, how many people can we influence? And so like, you know, for you Tex, uh, you know, as this thing gets rolling and, you know, the ability to go out and train with people, but it's not as if you have to like, is it more beneficial for you to sit in a lab and do research and try to get a PhD or like you said, is it, or do you want to go out and like do a practical PhD where all of a sudden you go out and you know, you intern, you coach, you learn. And on top of it, you get to the point after two or three years where you're like, dude, there's really nothing new. People are just recycling shit. Look at T nation. What does T nation do? They they sell supplements, but they rewrite their articles. What they do is they go three to four years back in the past and they rewrite the same shit and that's all they do. And then they steal a bunch of stuff. And you know what? People fucking read that shit all the time. And they're like, oh, there's this new training stuff. It's called clusters. <laughs> Pick a weight you can squat for five reps, and I want you to do one rep. No, no, and, they and say, then you're going to rest for 30 seconds, and you're going to do 10, but it's going to take you five minutes. And it's a training hack. Cluster yeah, and, training. <laughs> yeah, and it's a training hack. And you know what? It drives adaptation and increases strength because you can handle a higher percentage of, you know, and I'm like, Jesus Christ. Like this is a like, but you have to remember too, like, I think we've been in this fight for a long, long time. There's always people entering the top of the funnel. So, I mean, there's people that are reading T nation for the first time being like, have you heard of this cluster training stuff? Yeah. And like, so like, that's what we always have to kind of remember. I mean, shit, dude, like I, uh, like that's something I always think about, especially for our stuff. Um, when people ask like really retarded questions on our, uh, you know, on the programs or send us emails before I used to just like fucking lose my mind. And now I have to remember this is probably their first day. Yeah. You got to be paid. That is valuable to understand. I think a lot of people that get pissed off and I, I just say it because I've made the mistake. I have to step back and remember with some kind of sense of emotional intelligence that not everybody's read this shit. Not everybody has to come up and you see that like there's value to people grinding and striving and struggling, you know, but not everybody has to do it the way we did it. They, They just don't, you know what I mean? And, and again, I've, I've been that guy. And then I sat back and I'm like, God, am I, a, am I a hypocrite for this? Because, no, but don't you think people are, uh, the internet's allowed people to be lazy. Oh, no, quite, no, no argument with that. Like, I'm just saying like no the one thing that drives me crazy is, is pe- people will, uh, ask questions and what I'll do is I'll forward them links. I'll go through and I'll forward them like, you know, blogs, I'll forward them all the links and I just, just go, and then they give me, and then they usually send me something cunty in return about, uh, you know, why you just tell me that shit, you went to the time to send me these links. And I always respond, if I, you know, the difference between if I teach a man to fish further, I feed a man like I can feed you for a day, or I can teach you to fish and you can feed yourself for a lifetime, read this and learn to wholeheartedly fish. agree. I mean, I even see that like, so on Instagram, somebody will say what, 
to that point, you'll get a chuckle out of this. Everybody always asks me, what books do you read or recommend? Oh. So a long time ago, I took, I lined up like six or 12 books together and took a picture on Instagram and did some training books, some other books, what have you. And so I just, I send people that Instagram, you know, link and I'm like, Hey, I laid some out here. It's not an end all be all account. It's just a, it's a snapshot literally. And, or people are like, Hey man, why don't you put more training videos up? And I said, well, listen, cause I've done that. I put, I mean, if you just scroll back guys, like literally how lazy do you have to be to like do this with your thumb? It's, you know, it's asking too much. Plyometrics. Well, well, people like, live in the present and the future. You know, people like they can't live in the past. So therefore they can't scroll back. Right. And I'm like, the, the reason you're not seeing me post all these things all the time is, yeah, like I, we had a plyometric video. I think it got like 20,000 views. Do I need to keep posting plyometric training videos? No, because there's probably 8 million people doing that. Like, I think people forget the value of trying to be a unique voice as opposed to just always being an echo too. Uh, but yeah, no, to your point, people are lazy as shit. I'm not saying they don't need to go do their due diligence. I'm just saying they, different experiences you know, provide different outcomes, but yeah, people are lazy as shit for sure. So this kind of reminds me of a quote from your book that I highlighted, uh, emailed to John as soon as I read it and really like it. So <clears throat> from the book, if, if you have identified your training philosophy before you have identified your coaching identity, then you have misplaced your priorities. Yeah. So this is, uh, this is kind of what we're talking about here. Like, uh, people are just trying to just take the shortcuts or do the sexy stuff before they really understand one training well, principles well, and two. Yeah. But I mean, here, here's the thing, the text. And I remember when you sent me that, the idea that you have to know, like, and what do we say at the seminar above all else? Do no harm. Take the Hippocratic oath as a trainer. So I think the problem becomes is that people don't have a perspective on like what's to, what people can do and what they can't do. They just have all this stuff like, oh, this is all the super jiggy shit. And I'm like, I'm sure you've like me, we go in. I got a I got a plan. But what was the quote I put up? Everybody's got a plan until they get punched in the mouth. How many times have you gone with your athletes and within like 30 seconds you're like, we ain't doing any of this shit. We're going to do yeah. something else. And, uh, you know, but having enough where all, but also enough life experience or just enough emotional intelligence to realize, you know, what's going to benefit somebody the most at that exact point. And, you know, not being selfish and having such a big, a big ego that I'm going to fucking beat these guys to death because I have to be right. And, um, you know, realizing that the only marker is whether or not people got, you know, increased performance that day. And sometimes that takes your ego in a backseat, but other times you got to fucking put a boots to somebody's ass. One where that was where that was directed is I see a lot of that in the collegiate setting where young coaches will work for a, a certain head strength coach and that strength coach will kind of take this you know they'll they'll try to create a military like environment the coach is one of those guys arms crossed blow hard you know he he runs with the team at or he he does the workout at three in the morning before the kids get there. And what we've created is I've had this coach numerous times. I actually yeah, know that I've worked for this guy too. Yeah. Right. Right. And so what I was what, here at 3am doing this workout. Like, what that was targeted at is the fact that like coaches aren't even thinking for themselves. They're coming up under that guy and then they're becoming that guy. And then they're creating more people like that guy. And all they're doing is that stuff because of that guy and that time of their life. And, you know, by and large, they don't even know who the hell they are. Like they're, even if you ask them, Hey, tell me your methodology. 
oh, we believe in a ground-based, multi-joint, you know, program. We want to make sure that the expression of force is multifaceted because that's what happens in the sport of play. Wait, so, slow down. Uh, I got to write that down. No. You know, like, I can regurgitate this shit like <laughs> the back of my head because how many soundbite-based strength coaches exist out there? And again, let me quantify, I've been one, right? Like, this is not me preaching, saying I've made that mistake until I did text that kind of more – inward introspection like how can i get better and where the fuck am i heading kind of thing well it's kind of like people with dogs did you ever notice that people stand up kind of like looking like their dog i see people all the time they get dogs that kind of look like them and then uh (laughs) and then the hilarious part is when we went to like the texas high school coaches convention you meet the strength coaches you meet the assistants who all kind of morph into a similar look of the coach and i'm like oh my god dude these guys like are they hiring these guys because they look like them or are they morphing into them (laughs) well brett where was your moment of clarity right Uh, where did you had that self-awareness uh that you discuss in the book and the kind of three uh three stages reflection inspection and progression that coaches to go through when did you face that moment of self-awareness yeah so just like just like you guys said like i actually had a a big moment on an airplane it's funny that the airplane maybe it's the faraday cage kind of uh well, it's, it's you can't escape so you're sitting there and you're like fuck i gotta listen to this dude right no and i was reading chip and dan he's book decisive and there was a part in that book that this you know this woman was talking about trying to make a career choice and some of the things she asked herself and what herself and what have you and i got to the denver airport and i had a flight that was delayed because i was trying to get home over christmas and i sat down and i just started thinking like a lot of my philosophy like i could give you surface level answers for not in regards to the science that underpinned them that i could always you know, 100%, but I'm talking about more in terms of how I was as a coach, the impact I wanted to make, the legacy, what have you. Then I just said, you know what, man, like I'm not letting myself get by with like fluff-based surface level answers of like, I want to make an impact. I want to leave a legacy. I want to, and so I started asking myself a lot of deep probing questions of where am I going? Why am I going there? What does that look like? How does this look? What are the steps? I just started literally lambasting myself and almost interrogating myself over every aspect of kind of what I wanted to do and more importantly, why I wanted to do it. And then lastly, what that would look like along the way. And I still have it on my phone. And I just started saying like, holy shit, like I, I haven't been confused, but I haven't been as direct as I could have been in some of the ways that, you know, either risks that I took or interactions or things that I'm trying to do to set up for the future. And that was a big moment for me. I think a lot of times we have these service level, you know, no, podcast oriented responses that we just want to, come off with right off the dome or for an interview or what have you that people don't really know what the hell they're saying. And I just wanted to get deep. I'm really self-competitive. Do you have a, do either of you have an older brother? Yeah. And I got two sisters. My older brother is deeply, deeply competitive with me to the point where we don't have like the best relationship. I've always been really competitive with myself. Like the way I look at him and I said this at his wedding the other, just the other weekend, I go, we have the same last name. I'm not really competitive with you. Like, we better not either let our last name be associated with a loser, you know, but he's always, so being always really deeply competitive with myself, I've almost always tried to expose myself as a fraud. Always. I've always just tried to like, like if I put myself in this situation, put myself in that situation, am I a fraud? And so in the Denver airport, I was trying to expose myself as a fraud and it led me down that path of becoming just more clear and where I needed to be more concise to answer your question. So what you're talking about is having uh, consciousness. So um, when people talk, 
you know, and, and I try to actually fight with this quite often when we have podcasts, like you remember uh, Will Ferrell in old school where all of a sudden he like blacks out and like, you know, the, uh, the Southern markets and he goes, Rage occasion, yeah. yeah, then he, he wakes up, he's like, what happened? <laughs> Sometimes on the podcast, uh, that happens. And like, we've had podcasts where I've literally got done and been like, I don't even, I don't even know where I am right now. It's called flow yeah. state. Yeah. Flow state. But then there's other ones where you're like highly conscious in the moment and like, I know on our podcast, I kind of mentally, even though I'm not on this one, because this is actually fucking super jiggy. Uh, but like, you know, you just kind of like, just kind of go with the flow of the conversation or whatnot. And then we, at Summer Strong this weekend, people were asking me uber specific things about the podcast. And I was like, fuck, I don't know. I hear that Star Trek, like at conventions, they get the same questions. Like, yeah, like people minute like, 13, episode yeah, season three. Dude, this guy was, was, was pounding on me. And uh, I mean, not in a bad way, but just like asking me super specific questions. And I was like, shit, I got to remember this. But then other times you have these things where you're like highly conscious, uh, you know, not only of what's around you, how everything's going and you kind of are, are, you know, in a much more, I guess, involved state of, you know, higher consciousness where you're thinking about, you know, this is what I'm doing. And I, I know when I go on, on other people's podcasts, I never mentally turn off because I always think like somebody new who doesn't know me is going to turn this on and they're either going to think, oh, this is this guy's, you know, pretty sharp. I want to learn more. Or fuck this guy, he's an asshole. Because anything other than those two, I'm upset about. I want people to feel polarized about me. And I, I don't know if I've ever met anybody that just was kind of indifferent about me. They either like me or dislike me, which is totally cool. And uh, Brett, for reference, John has a very uh, Larry King style interview. Have you ever heard about <laughs> Larry King? Yeah. So he's notorious and famous for doing zero research. So he goes in and has a guest and he's genuinely interested in that person. So he's asking all these questions just selfishly. And they're recording everything. Yeah, that's exactly what I do. Yeah. Yeah, because text always sends us the prep stuff, and I'll prep it a little bit. But the problem was, in the past, if I over-prepped, and as the person's talking, I'm judging what I know against their answers. And uh, I grew up as a you know, son, and my brothers are all lawyers and everything. So then that's what I was planning on doing to go to law school before I got sidetracked with this fucking NFL thing. And, uh, so I always, you know, if, sidetracked, if, if I, I know it was totally, <laughs> right. I, I seriously thought I was going to play totally in the NFL for a year or two, make some Jack and then go back to law school. And then it ended up becoming a decade. So I was like, shit. Uh, but, uh, I found that in, in previous podcasts, if I had done a ton of research on the guest, then I was almost slightly judgmental or pushing them for what I wanted to hear more so than letting organic conversations. And I, I can appreciate that. Cause I, you know, I don't ever, Whenever I get, and you were awesome about it, text, but whenever I get like, hey, here's some sample questions or what have you, again, kind of with that obsession of always trying to prove myself as a fraud, I, I rarely look at any of that because I'm just like, if you guys ask me a question and I don't know it, I mean, granted, there's times where I'll misspeak and I'll, I'll wish I had said something later just a bit more eloquently because, you know, you can get fast paced and, and very in line, like you guys have a very quick paced podcast. So I can find myself sometimes picking up the speed in which I talk because I know one point there might be an interjection or what have you, right? But by and large, I don't want to prepare because if I can't answer something, I don't know my shit and I'm the wrong guest to have on the show. So I can understand the value in that. For well, that sure. And, and uh, I hopefully people listening know when shit's authentic. Right. Um, I know when I can listen to things and think, dude, this is absolute dog shit or this feels plot right. or, you know, you, you meet people that are insincere or, you know, people that have a mouthful of cap teeth that aren't their own that look like white chiclets. Um, so, you know, things like that. But what I really look for is authentic, good and, um, you know, really kind of honest. And I think really what I'd like, a, you know, even though I was against this idea of a podcast in the beginning, I was fucking against it. Why? 
Um, one, because uh, I couldn't fathom that one, we would have enough interesting people to talk to. And two, um, I really don't like the constraints of having to be somewhere after having played in the NFL and having like every minute of my fucking life uh, scripted. The thought of like every Thursday at this time, we have to do a podcast like that kind of makes me a little nervous. And, uh, and then I also thought like, there's no fucking way that we're going to be able to fill up this much information. There's no way we're going to find this many interesting people. So I was just kind of against it. And then we had one and I was like, oh, and I actually wasn't a regular guest on our podcast until later. Uh, the first couple, I was like a guest on our own podcast because I was like, <laughs> I don't want to commit to this. I don't know if it sucks. And uh, I also have this weird, like if we do something, it has to be like full tilt and it has to be good. Yeah or I'll be pissed. And, right. then, uh, and then after we got into it and like I started seeing the flow and I liked it and I felt more and more comfortable. And then we got rid of those other losers. And <laughs> at that point it was just us. But yeah. I think at that point, what was neat is um, it allowed us to connect and have really interesting, meaningful conversations with interesting people that it effectively increases my genealogy. So now, you know, we're over here and like Brett and I are friends and um, you know, now I'm a fan of him. I'm following him on, on social media and you know, and uh, at some point he'll probably, you know, I'll reach out to him or he'll reach out to me and I will add one more person to my genealogy. Yeah. You know, in, in reality I should already know, but I didn't, but now we're friends and we connected on this podcast. I mean, just like at summer strong, we went down there and we must've had um, uh, dude, so many of the people that were there speaking, we had already met through the podcast and just getting to hang out with them in person was like old friends. So I was you, really stoked You keep on that. rubbing in that Brett wasn't there. Yeah. Thanks a lot, Dick. <laughs> I know. <laughs> it, I, I mean, I, it, I, dude, I don't know why you weren't there. Do you want to know why? Yeah. Because you were in Atlanta right, trying to your... set up your fucking gym. No, 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 not at all. And that, that I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't have, <laughs> talk, you know how long it takes to do that. So I could have sacrificed one weekend for that and probably not been behind. I'm, I'm involved with a military contract. So I was actually out of the state that day working at a base. And so I told Bert that too. I go, Bert, as another bearded gentleman, I go, I'm sure you can understand. Because Bert kind of told me about it, you know, uh, relatively late. He goes, man, you got to come. And he's such an awesome dude. And I said, hey, I can't really, like, I'm not you know, I'm not trying to be super secretive like guy here, but I'm involved with a military contract. I already committed a year ago. I, I can't, I can't not go. So I'm really sorry, but you know what, on a funny note and a serious note. So I had back surgery a year and a half ago. I had a back condition. I was born basically with a herniated disc. So I've always had back issues. Now also squat and deadlift and what have you. I just know that beyond like a certain load, I'm going to have some issues, right? And I've got to modify, but I still clean. So I'm trying to chase a post-surgery PR, which is nothing impressive to the likes of West Kits or you guys or anything like that. But for me, shit, it's, it's close to body weight and a half. You know, and it's pretty decent clean for a real life dude. And so I, I didn't get my PR last night. And I wanted to text Bert and be like, you know what? Fucking miss my PR. And it's evident that it's because I did not go to Summer Strong because him and Double A and everybody else, I think, hit PRs every week. So either they read something that I haven't and peaking is not a myth uh, or just like that environment absolutely just juices. Yeah, dude. no, it was the energy. I mean, the, um, so, uh, yeah, no, I, it, it was the energy hundred percent. So I missed my PR because I didn't go to summer strong. There's and, the, best and the West kilts thing was fucking oh, yeah. awesome, dude. Oh, dude. Uh, <laughs> uh, fucking dude. Um, fucking Dave Spitz. Uh, one of my favorite human beings on the planet. Uh, I've never had the pleasure of meeting him directly. Dude, he's he, dude. We have this. Uh, 
funny relationship, which is kind of similar to actually, actually not necessarily funny because it's, I have a similar relationship with many people, but it's just based off of like busting balls and shit talking. And so he gets up and, um, I've never heard Dave present. I've never heard him speak. I mean, just, you know, you know, super smart guy, USC guy, which I'm not going to hold against him. Eloquent, uh, (laughs) you know, impassioned and, uh, you know, has kind of a bit of a, he's, he's slick. Like he just kind of has a little bit of slick to him. And, um, he gets up and, and I, you know, like I knew there was gonna be a big crowd. He didn't, he did not prepare at all. So he gets up there and he's got, and his idea was he was going to get Wes up there to lift weights and, uh, just kind of take the, uh, the stress off of him a little bit. So he gets up and he starts kind of talking and he's kind of fumbling a little bit. And then all of a sudden, man, like when that, when Wes started, like the bar started going up in weight, all of a sudden, dude, he fucking changed from like this guy to, fucking Dave Spitz, you know, strength coach, athlete, and fucking hit his stride. And dude, he used probably one of the best lines I've ever heard in any presentation. He got up there and he was talking about how he was working in the private sector in a financial job. And he made the point. He's like, you know, my bank account was full. My Daytona Rolex was shiny. My suits were Italian, but I was empty inside. And I'm ad-libbing the Italian suits because I can't remember the other part of it. And uh, he literally said it so flawlessly with such great timing at the exact moment. And as soon as he finished the dude like snatched weight, I was like 380 pounds. Yes. And so I was busting his balls and he was like, Oh, well born. I'm like, dude, I'm not, I'm not kidding with you. It was so well-timed, but what he had, he was so passionate about the fact that, you know, America had not won a gold medal Olympic lifting and he was going to fucking bring it back here. And Wes is up there lifting this, uh, this gold Alico bar that actually Alico made, uh, to give an American who would, who would set the world record in Olympic lifting. Really? And after so many years and it not looking like the chance, they uh, let Sornex fucking buy it. And they were like, you know what? No American's ever going to set a world record. So you know what? We'll just let Sornex buy it. So Sornex bought the bar and had it there. How much do you think that was? I have no idea what it is. But uh, so then Richard Sorn, you know, pops, uh, you know, let's fucking wheel it out because this kid has a chance to snatch 201 and, and set a world record. So they bring the bar out and they're loading it and like he's up there and uh, it was it was pretty epic because not only was Bert there, but the old man, old pops dude, was fucking right on the edge of his seat ready to dive in there and try to like wrestle the bar away from him to try to snatch the weight, you know, and like the look on his dad. I mean, it was, um, dude, it was one of the cooler moments, one watching him, but also seeing the Sorens, but then also hearing Dave get up there and he made a point, dude. He He's like, you know, I've gone this like, interesting road and he's like i miss the olympic trials i miss this you know and he's like dude like i'm past the point where i'm going to be the athlete but you know what i'm going to do everything i can to fucking coach america to this and dude it was awesome people started chanting usa and uh, west goes up and he misses his snatch and like dumps it behind him and he's like you want one more and then it fucking nails it dude the place exploded to the point where i think fucking dave told him i was watching the video i watched the whole thing it was nuts Dude, the energy in that place, uh, I mean, dude, Dave did an amazing job in his presentation. Um, uh, frankly, I was kind of hoping he bombed a little, just so I could bust his balls, but uh, he didn't, and I got to bust his balls even more. Yeah. Uh, Wes, dude, like instantly, like such a nice kid. Uh, I'm an instant fan of his. I was all, you know, already, already uh, you know, fan of his because you know, he's Olympic lifting for America, but like after meeting him and seeing it, dude, huge fan of his. And um no, dude, everybody felt like they were on that journey. And now, like, it was cool, man. I, Dude, I was really stoked to be a part of that. 
So yeah, it sucks for you for not being there. Go fuck yourself. Yeah. Sorry to our, <laughs> sorry to our men and women in armed forces. You kept me from watching it. <laughs> but you get to see it. So no, it was summer strong was killer. I mean the, uh, their new facility. No, it was great. And I was really honored to speak. So, um, you know, I was stoked on that record. No, I, yeah, I'll definitely look to get there next year. I mean, we're looking at doing a lot of stuff at the bridge as well. Uh, you know, and, and building that there's going to be a lot of interesting things we're going to touch on so that we're not just, you know, kind of, uh, I think the thing that Sorenex evidently has done really well is they created a unique environment. And I think right now with the proliferation of courses and clinics, you better either create a unique environment or have some original topics. Cause sure. I think we all know examples of like these clinics out there that like, there's too many people just getting up there and like the first 10 minutes of them talking about their mentors and their experience. And then that's 25 minutes of a 40 minute talk. And by the time they're done, you just heard them say like three or four things and you're like, God, like, come on, like, give us something. You know what? That's what I always liked about the CrossFit shit. And I always liked that about summer strong, whatever, like, you know, people got up and saw, uh, spoke, but there was always an opportunity to train. I mean, especially in the CrossFit stuff and it's summer strong, like everybody got done speaking. People went and got their shit and people were banging weights. Yeah. Uh, when I went to another deal, I think it was for like perform better. I was like, dude, everybody's standing around in khakis and fucking running shoes. Like it was fucking awful. And, uh, and like, you know, that's part of, you know, and I, I get the idea towards academia and this and whatever, but at the end of the day, man, like if I'm going to fucking waste a day learning something, dude, I want to, I want to also, um, do something like I want to be, you know, do something physical. I want to ingrain it. I want to, I want to use it. Set up. You guys lifted every day or what have you. What's that? At Summer Strong, you lifted in between sessions. Yeah. yeah, so so we got there on Thursday and then Friday morning. I got there at about 7 and we trained. And then the first speakers weren't until like 1. And then on uh, Saturday, the speakers started early. And then there was like a lunch break. And then as soon as all the speakers got done at 5, dude, it was like the combine. combine. People were fucking banging weights. I saw Bert pull like 600 pounds. Richard, uh, Mr. Soren pulled, what, 405 for like four or five reps? Yeah. Uh, which I thought he almost fucking died. Like literally I was, I was like, dude, <laughs> clear live. I mean, but you know what? In his mind, he's probably like, if I was going to go, I want to go with a barbell in my hand on this platform with a gold Alico in my hands. Like God take me now. And, uh, like that to me, man, like it, it was cool. Uh, just to, you know, cause so much equipment, there was a lot of learning. I mean, we, we got to meet, uh, um, Gunnar Peterson uh you know the fucking celebrity trainer and literally i was fucking busting his balls about like training the kardashians and fucking, now the head strength coach for the lakers, for the lakers. i yeah. know dude yeah he yeah. just got that and i'm like why what are you gonna do he's like i have no idea he's like <laughs> he, he i mean but such a cool cat and uh just such like what blows my mind is um and he's probably the, he has like a x-men power of the ability to navigate people's egos really well like he was like that was the one thing and he even said it. he's like yeah i've always just had the ability to navigate these egos and i don't know how he does it because there I, I told him i'm like i would fucking put a shotgun in my mouth with one day of your work and he's like don't worry it goes through my mind every day but unfortunately people keep showing up and i'm yeah. like yeah so no but it was cool man the uh, uh really cool in terms of the genealogy and just getting to meet more and more people and uh you know and then continue with our power athlete radio which text, by the way, we got to send an invoice now to Summer Strong for the advertisement we just did for them. Well, to pile on, the conference experience now, Brett, I don't know if you still go to the NSCA or CSCCA. Yeah, so I, I've, spoke, I've spoken at three of the – I usually speak at three NSCA events a year, and then I'm speaking at 
uh, the combat clinic this year as well. And then I'll be out at NatCon. Well, there you go, listeners. But um, yeah, Sorenix provides people now with that opportunity to lift at these conferences. So their booth is fully functional. They, they set up, show off, and then uh, me and the Train Heroic crew, whenever we're there, we just go and lift. So the experience at Summer Strong is it's a little bit different there. People are just, you know, watching these three small guys lift. But, um, you know, they're, they're doing great things. I, I enjoy their company and, um, you know, and they're cool. Yeah, and they're a good time. Yeah. So it's important. All right. Uh, what else? I, I did want to cover, if we got time for it, coaching archetypes. So I do want to get your advice to young listeners when they're interviewing for jobs, what to look out for, good and bad. So if you feed, uh, what questions can they ask coaches? You know, you always get that at the end of the interview. What questions do you have for us? Any advice to coaches on how to find out and stay away from the megalomaniacs? Megalo, egomaniac? Megalomaniac. Yeah. That's, the wor- that's worse than an egomaniac. Egomaniac, yeah, megalomaniac. Yeah. yeah, that actually, I believe uh, egomaniac is a big ego. If you're a megalomaniac, I think it believe you're God. Oh, the, those that's guys That's the God complex. Um, narcissistic personality disorder. Yeah. Well, what was the one where he's like, uh, was the doctor where he's like, you know, they're in their waiting room. They're not praying to God. They're praying to me. You know, that one. What was that no, movie? I don't know that. Yeah, that was a movie. <sighs> Fuck. I'll think about it. Okay, go on. I don't know. I was, yeah. All right. So, sorry, just to make sure I understand the question. You're what... What a young coach would ask uh, somebody that they're, or are you asking what a young coach should ask somebody when applying for an interview or what somebody interviewing a young coach should think of? Uh, Both, Uh, but mainly to kind of identify some good and bad archetypes that you discuss in in conscious coaching. Yeah. So it's interesting. My neighbor in Phoenix was a uh, criminal profiler for the FBI. And in large part, I think if I wasn't a strength coach, that's part of what I would be doing. Um, I, I think it's pretty interesting and I, I have a lot of down, I have a lot of faults, but I'm pretty decent at reading people primarily because I met a lot of shitty people and good people in my life. So you learn how to kind of, you know, you understand those things. I think the biggest thing that anybody has to do, and, and this isn't a soundbite, this is leading to something. Okay. But we don't know how to seek to understand. And I think the majority of people would benefit from shutting the hell up for a little bit and taking the time to read tendencies, whether that's the way somebody they're about to interact with talks, uh, how they carry themselves in regards to their body language, uh, the intonation of their voice, the cadence uh, uh, they communicate in, and, and all of those factors. And then you have to be a chameleon with that kind of stuff. You have to show, and this goes into research surrounding mirror neurons, this goes into mimicry, this goes into all that. And it's not about being an inauthentic version of yourself. It's about a slider scale and knowing how to balance out the tune the treble, the bass, and all that so that you better align with the people that you're interacting with. Then I talk about in the book with dark-sided leadership traits. It's what I'm going to speak uh, opposite of Matt Jordan, Derek Hansen, and Ron McKeefrey within Toronto. And I'm actually going to be speaking on the archetypes at an NHL-focused strength and conditioning clinic. It's a lot of what I'm doing with Microsoft and military is helping people navigate these Machiavellian divides by helping them understand which version of yourself you need to be at what time. Because uh, you know, there's no bigger advocate of just being authentic than, than, than myself. And it sounds like you guys as well, but you also need to understand when to tap into different volumes and different versions of yourself in order to take the best advantage of that environment. And I think people always think manipulation's a dirty term. It's not. Manipulation is adaptation. It's being able to say, how do I match this environment? How do I 
how do I get the most out of it while providing the, the, the benefit to the other person as well? Well, you, it, you can't always be a yeah. hammer. I mean, I, I, I think the idea is you can't always be a hammer. Yeah, no you question. Know, like, no like question. you know, like how many tools? And, and I'm sure, dude, uh, you know, in the coaching environment, this always happens. Like, you know, if the hammer doesn't work, you got to find other tools. And not everybody's motivated in the same way. I mean, I think it was – And they don't know how to do that, though. People don't understand manipulation tactics and adaptation tactics of communication. They, I think a lot of people quote that you know, John, but like, I don't think a lot of people know how to do it. And they don't realize that social science validates a lot of approaches that they can use, whether it is reflective listening, whether it is. But I mean, that's coaching because I mean, you think about it, if you take, I mean, especially, uh, you know, I mean, if you look at NFL players, for example, not everybody's motivated in the same way. Like some people are motivated by money, uh, ego, uh, you know, pride. I mean, you have all of these different factors and not everybody's motivated the same way. So as a coach, if you only have one motivation tool, then unfortunately you're just going to hopefully, you know, motivate those individuals that identify with that one. And uh, I watched that for years with coaches that only had one motivational tool. And, uh, you know, and I, you know, especially in college football, I mean, my offensive line coach, a uh, guy named Tom Cable had one motivation and it was to try to fucking kill you every single day. And his attitude was um, you got to break a lot of eggs to make a good omelet. And uh, I'm going to break all the eggs that I can and hopefully find the eggs that survive. So yeah. fuck you guys. Yeah. And uh, he literally shattered a lot of dudes and fucked a lot of people up. And I remember thinking like there has to be other ways like the, you know, and I, and I actually think it was a uh, Douglas MacArthur said, you know, the, um, you know, the true ability of a leader is, you know, to how to plug in and to motivate each man individually. Uh, and, you know, and I'm paraphrasing that one, uh, but you know, that little piece. And I remember watching different coaches have different motivation techniques and thinking to myself, um, as a you know, fairly cerebral person, sitting back and being like, this isn't how I'm motivated. Good thing I have intrinsic motivation. And I watch people fail over and over again and realize that if you're, you know, you don't probably get to professional sports level waiting for people to motivate you. And, um, you know, and that's, what's really interesting too, especially, you know, going and working in a commercial gym setting or doing what we do now, meeting people that don't, that, that walk through the door, but don't have intrinsic motivation absolutely blows my mind. I'm like, well, you got here. So, you know, what are we doing here? Like how, like, why don't you not want to execute this stuff? And some people just need to see bigger picture. I mean, for me, especially I was like the, uh, not annoyingly, but I was the young athlete where I'd ask people like, can you explain to me why we're doing this? I'm not trying to be a dick and argue with you. I just want to know how this fits into the general scheme, how this fits into the bigger picture. And if a coach couldn't, you know, would just say like, shut the fuck up, just do it. I'd be like, dude, come on, you're turning me off here. Like I legitimately want to learn. And I think when I retired from the NFL, the reason that I was able to understand training and be able to help people with it was because I'd been analytical enough through my NFL career and all the early, you know, trials and tribulations and mistakes to know what I did good and what I liked and what didn't like. And I always looked at what we did is, um, especially for me, like kind of like the Jeet Kune Do of, of strength conditioning, where I saw a lot of stuff and I basically kept what was useful and discarded what was useless. And by the end of it, I was able to come out with a pretty good methodology and understanding of it. And I had enough, you know, where all and education to be able to say, this is why this works. And when I go back and explain it to people, they always think like, shit, man, that's pretty cool. But I'm like, dude, I had to do this because if I was waiting for somebody to do it for me, I wouldn't have got to where I was. And I think like most of the people that I've seen that are pretty good have that same kind of idea where, you know, you're not depending on somebody to teach you. Like I'm sure a lot of the stuff you found through, you know, either your own mistakes or your own research and people give you ideas in this, but at the end of the day, you're not copying anybody else's stuff. 
You're just trying to figure out what works best for me and how I figure this, how I navigate this. Yeah. And, and to that point, I mean, that was a lot of, you know, I, three years ago when we had a really good turnout, I mean, two years ago, I guess we had a particularly really good turnout, a lot of NFL guys come and I just asked them, I go, why do you come to me? I know we clean, I know we squat, I know we do sleds, I know we do agility. Why do you come? And then it was that, that people, you know, said, you know, you're able to tune in on what my drives are and feed that to us in a relatively large group. Cause in this setting at API, it was me and one intern, you know, guiding a group of around 25 guys. And I found ways now that I can kind of mix drives and, and aspects of, you know, how each of these people are motivated in a certain way within my programming. And that's my talk about in another lecture of how, how you can manipulate emotional kind of personality profiles into, you know, programming type, uh, periodization strategies. Um, but to get back to your original point, Tex, is is just more coaches need to learn how to adapt. They need to learn how to seek to understand, adapt, reflect, interact. Again, it all comes down to social intelligence. We're, we're a very stupid, smart species. And the more information that's around, which I think the Google CEO, Eric Schmidt, at the time well, that I wrote that book had said that Every day we are creating, we are recreating as much information that existed from the beginning of the internet all the way up to 2003. Wow. Uh, you know, so people know how to digest and consume. They don't know how to compose. And I think young coaches just need to shut up. They need to probably pay attention on how they can help as opposed to just thinking about Bob Alejo makes an interesting point. I'm trying to, I hate writing. I know that sounds crazy because I wrote a book, but <laughs> I, I'm actually writing a piece that was requested just about how we're a cannibalistic culture now and you're having coaches that say, say one of you is offered a job for 85,000. You are literally getting strength coaches that will gladly take that same job for 60,000 or less, just as long as they can get a free pair of sweatpants and some branded material because we all just want to screw each other. And the reality is, is it's creating a lower ceiling for the entire industry. Sure. I mean, I had an executive at the UFC when we were out there doing consulting work with us, with them, tell me, you have a very interesting industry. I've been in a lot. I obviously know business. I've been in this game a long time. I've never seen an industry that eats their own like yours. And we like, we're such like this martyr type. Oh, like work first in last out. I'm not in it for the money, share everything, do it for free that we're actually hurting our ability to provide for our family. And my grand phone said it to me because one time I had told him what I had charged, you know, for a speaking event. And he laughed at me and he goes, dude, are you kidding me? How do you plan on making any kind of difference if you're running a soup kitchen? He goes, I refuse to pay you that amount unless, you know, this. And I, I sat there and I realized how antiquated my thought process was. Like I was devaluing what I was doing because I, I thought it was being more respectful to the industry. When in the reality, if I devalue what I do, you guys devalue what you do. We can't help as many people. Because like, if we don't have the funds to be able to extend ourselves and our reach and, you know, how do I tell my wife, Hey, I'm gone for three days teaching a clinic, you know, and by the way, we're not getting paid dick for that, but guess what? I'm giving it all away for free and I'm doing what the industry tells me to do. Our industry shouldn't have a problem making money, but you should have a problem if you're not creating value with it. And I think that's where the divide is, but we've got to get away from this undercutting devaluing kind of martyrism type mantra that we have. Uh, we're, we're, you know, we're not spreading a message that's actually helpful and we're not valuing our jobs, you know? So that, that's a big piece of what drives me now is of course, I'm always going to be interested in how I make athletes better and how we do that. That's a, I mean, I'm opening a training facility, 
but I'm also interested in how we can bring this coaching kind of realm into the 21st century. And I think those, th- those few things go hand in hand. Yeah, I've been uh, kind of working with John to develop um, the methodology curriculum that we put out. Something I looked into is, is called the dissemination of information. So yeah. that's this disclosure of knowledge by any appropriate means, but it also leaves the gateway open for the information to come back to you. Yeah. So instead of us just sending in one direction, this is what yeah. you do, this is what you do. If somebody can, they can ask us questions well, or find a better way to say it, then it makes us better. Well, it's just like this deal. I mean, we have inputs and outputs. And the one thing that um, I really enjoyed, especially about graduate school and the higher level upper division stuff for me was uh, the input output. And I, you know, when we were going through kind of a, you know, methodology idea of like, you know, how do you want to teach, you know, obviously the online stuff, but also the in-person. I mean, I was like, you know, Socratic method. If I could bring him in, let's put up a table or let's put up a round of seats and let's start talking about, you know, complex, uh, you know, subjects and, you know, dive people in and start handing it off. And if they suck, then we kick them out and they're fail. <laughs> and so the guys were like, no, I don't like, but I'm well, telling I was you, like, yeah, that type of, uh, you know, like for me um, as a rhetoric major, I mean, that was what we had to do. We had to read, we had to be able to get up and speak. And if you were not a contributor in the course that day, then you need to go home and three absences makes you fail. But I think like, what I've realized, especially for a lot of coaches, especially in the collegiate setting, is they do not want inputs. What they want is they want outputs. So they want to plug in the output. They want the athlete to do it. They want them to perform and they want them to go away. And for yeah. me, I was like an input output guy. I was always like, hey, coach, um, you know, like, why are we doing this? Why are we working these singles? What does this do? What does this do? What does this do? And I wasn't being it to be an asshole because, you know, there's coaches like, why are we doing this? I was like, I'm going to fucking do it but at least give me some background information so I can feel like an active participant in my journey. And, um, you know, and I think like, especially for, you know, anybody listening to this, all one of you, um, you know, as a strength coach or you're working your facility, I think you have to ask now, I don't want you to do it to the detriment of fucking fucking up your business or because athletes can be morons, but I think looking for the input output idea and trying to educate people and say, Hey, this is where we're doing it, you know, and, you know, listening a little bit and then seeing when people have, something meaningful to contribute not just stomping it out being like well that's not the way we did it yeah but brett Brett leads off with his book with the importance of that social intelligence and investment coming from understanding of the athletes well just just see so here's my idea on social intelligence now that the internet and things like tinder because you know how do you figure out social intelligence when at least for me hitting on a girl, like going up and trying to talk to a girl or introduce myself or whatever about strength training no just in general like like walking up and trying to like literally walk in and meet a girl, let's say at a bar or anywhere, like trying to pick up on a girl in real life, this, in real life, not on the internet. Can you imagine like all these people that are Tinder based and the social media and this over walking over and being like, you know, leave your phone at the door. I want you to actually try to go over and talk to that girl and buy her a drink without saying anything fucking weird. No so emotional intelligence. Well, I lead off with strength and conditioning. If I can sell her, <laughs> I can sell any app. Taxes, <laughs> taxes like, God, your hamstring development's excellent. Let's yeah. talk about that QA. Yeah, in your relationship to your quad. Is that, would you think? I saw how fast you picked up that beer can. You must be potentiated. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, we could probably do a little manual resistance to get your nervous system firing so that we can get you probably better to, I don't know, lift that a little more explosively. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I was gonna, I'm thinking of taking one out of Cal Dietz's book because he did that, uh, was it RPI? Yeah. On that young lady at the concert <laughs> Texas like you know uh, <laughs> efforts over 10 seconds for GPP are not meaningful you might as well be doing aerobic work so we'll keep everything under 10 seconds uh, yeah yeah, yeah for God. science I got 10 <laughs> seconds <laughs> time yeah <sighs> okay I'm, I'm good to go I got 30 seconds we did we're, we're doing some max effort recovery so um yeah so we're what were we talking about <sighs> 
You're talking about social intelligence. Yeah, which we have now. <laughs> yeah. um, so, Brett, is there a, a change adapting in communication to your athletes now that they're living in the Tinder age? Because we look at Carizia at Kennesaw State, he's using freaking like uh, Instagram stories to highlight his athletes, which then gives them buy-in. So he's using technology to his advantage. Do you have any, any say on this? The technology to your advantage? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm a big believer. Like, I'll use damn near anything in my disposal to be able to reach my athletes. I, I've, I treat it like a game. It's game theory, right? Like, when you, when you understand game theory and the fact that we're playing chess, not checkers with all these individuals, I don't really get that bias with things anymore. There were certain things that I used to think weren't, you know, I had no interest in, but you know, I, 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 social media being one of them. And now I try to leverage that as much as I can. Um, so I think that you've got to just be patient and kind of see what your athletes are doing. Um, but yeah, whether it's Instagram stories, whether that's different programming modalities, I mean, let's, let's be real, right? Like this is what kind of drives auto regular auto regulatory periodization strategies that made five through one so popular. Everybody loves to kind of, yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll get it. Like, no, I, I dude, I, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a huge Jim Wendler fan. I just laughed that Jim wrote a book called five, three, one with Max. I mean, it just, yeah, no. Right. But my point is, is my point is just motivational strategies. My point's nothing to do with the programming. My point is, is, you know, same thing, uh, you know, in the book, I talk about this four drive theory that three or two Harvard business professors mentioned that by and large, we fit into one of four quadrants, learn, acquire, bond, and defend. And this is objective-based research that these professors went into the highest ranking corporate cultures around and said, basically, how are people addressing motivational clients of high-achieving corporate performers? And they're, you know, because we know that carrot and stick stuff just doesn't really work that well. And then I started looking at, you know what, the way I train my athletes kind of fits into that. I have some guys you know, that work better in groups, some guys that, you know, foster uh, a little bit more higher level engagement when it's one-on-one -on -one competition, such as a half kneeling, you know, sprint through 15 yards, one-on-one -on -one kind of stuff. And then I have other guys that do better if we do partner or team-based shuttles where they're focusing more on some kind of competitive strategy together. By and large, I found that wide receiver and skill position guys love more one-on-one -on -one direct ego-based competition. Linemen type uh, folks tend to work better in groups. So when we'd work on this kind of, uh, whether it was a versa climber challenge or whether it was like a 60 yard shuttle where we'd have, you know, we'd split up the teams into the skill guys, semis and bigs. And then we'd have an overall team goal they had to beat. They had other teams they had to beat and they could use any order of guys that they want, right? The slow guy could go first and now they think the skill guy is going to bring up the back end or should we put the skill guy in the middle? So the slow guy is not holding us all. Because in the past, we've seen situations where you divide guys up by position groups. By and large, as they get in better shape, they learn how to cheat the system, right? They understand, like, once I'm in good shape, I can kind of coast through this because I know what it takes to get this done in 15 seconds, for lack of a better, you know, just shooting out a number there, right? Um, what we found is when we did team-based partner shuttles, guys wouldn't do that. The slow guy has to bust his ass. The fast guy, because he's so ego-driven, doesn't want to lose, he's busting his ass. The middle ground's busting his ass. People don't have to cheat the system. Velocity-based training. Guys that don't, aren't interested in lifting that much, now all of a sudden when they have something, whether it's a gym aware or a tendo, you know, are starting to focus a little bit more on, yeah, coach, I was fast enough. No one, dickhead. Look at the speed. You have to be at 0.8 meters per second. Now we can get into the fact that that's a double-edged sword. People can start cheating form just to get a number. Again, just focusing on the main topic of motivation right now. Everything in training is a double-edged sword right? Whether people are using gear, belts, no belt, shoes, no shoes, 
their training modalities. But the point is, is I've tried to find different ways to take drives into the equation, either in programming practices or competitions, and root that into personality profiles of what can get these guys engaged on a higher level. I do the same thing with social media messaging. There's certain things that are going to rile up the old school strength coach like, yeah, let's get after it. I, I love what you're saying here. People don't pay attention to warm up. People don't pay attention to technique. And there's other people that want more cerebral content. So you've always just got to surf this curve. And I'm not talking force, force velocity here. <laughs> surf this curve of, you know, engaging at different levels and understanding what makes people reading articles like this on loss, trauma, human resilience, reading articles on perception, color psychology, all these things are what I study just as much now as training philosophy because wacky shit moves us as individuals. It really does. And I'm not averse to using any of it for my advantage and for the enhancement of my athletes. So that was a rant, but like, Dude, I'm no, passionate was... about that. And that's what I meant going back to your beginning topic about why I said, hey, I know I'm speaking on plyometrics today. I love this shit. It's not my passion right now. I think our industry needs something else a little bit different right now. It doesn't mean that's not still a priority. It means I'm just trying to, I'm trying to help bridge a gap for the community right now. And that's kind of what I enjoy speaking on more because it helps flush out ideas and enhance coaching strategy. I think that's a good note to end on. Dude, that's a, crushed it. Yeah, no, I believe me, we're always looking for great timing on how to end stuff and that's perfect. So, Hey man, thank you for uh, so much for taking the time to, you know, bend uh, some words with us and, and so I do to educate and inform and convert. Yeah. I learned more from you guys than you did me. Oh, stop uh, it. No, we learned more from you. I'll I'm going to come, I'll get down to Austin as soon as the dust settles and we get everything rolling. I, 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 Dude. Like I said, you guys have given me a perfect excuse to go see that city. Awesome, man. Love, love to have you anytime. Please stay in touch. So the, the book is Conscious Coaching, Brett Bar Bartholomew. What, uh, what social media handles should they look for? Just at coach underscore Brett B. That's a, and Instagram and Twitter are where I'm most active. You can go to BartholomewStrength.com. Uh, and, and that's where you'll keep up. That'll start to flip over to the bridge here soon. Believe it or not, two people owned brettbartholomew.com and brettbartholomew.net. So Bartholomew Strength wasn't ever supposed to be the name of a gym or anything. It was just my personal website. So you could own that real estate. I just said, uh, I'm ready to get rid of it though, because there's too many people that are like, hey, is this your gym? I'm like, no, like it's my website. And I can't believe two people own that name, but that was the case. But keep up with me. And if you're in the Atlanta area, come by. I'm really big on open doors. That goes with you guys too. You always have you can stay at my place, train at the facility. You're always welcome. So thank you again for having me on. Awesome. Thank you. We'll make it happen. Sounds All good. right. Thank All you, brother. sir. Take care. And this is the premier podcast yes. in strength and conditioning. conditioning. Oh, we fucking missed that, dude. Well, we got it here. That's all that matters. All right. Thank you. Now it's time for you to empower your performance. Inspired by what you've heard from Brett, get plugged in with what he's doing by following him on Instagram at coach underscore Brett B or by heading to his website, BartholomewStrength.com. Consider accepting his call to action by reassessing the value you place on the service that you provide as a coach. Speaking of services, the new Power Athlete HQ gym is going to be opening in Austin, Texas shortly, which I know everyone's really anticipating. 
just to get an idea of the kind of vibe you can look forward to, here's a little sneak preview. Honestly, dude, I would come here like on a Saturday to bang some dates <laughs> and like, you know, see if I could fucking talk one of these guys into having a smoothie with me and like, try to get an acting. Like, this is what this fucking thing is. Until next time. Bye.